I bought some prizes because we've got some prizes again. Yeah, but I, I brought, the, bought the wrong ones, actually. I meant to buy the ones I bought last time. So, I'm going to start with an easy one. So, what do you hate? We we'll talk about hate this morning. I don't believe you hate Ben at all. Can I just point out? <laughs> You're only half right. Um, <laughs> anything else? Feet. I'll tell you what, Tracy, this is going to help you at no end. <laughs> so, sorry, Tracy. If, if, <laughs> genuinely, I picked an empty one out there. I hate wagon drivers because they don't know what they're doing. They're always driving the wrong lane. That's an odd one, but I agree. People who stand too close in queues. When your car breaks down just after you've sold it, just after you've sold your other one. I can imagine that must be awful. I can't, none of you have said the worst thing. No, not Arsenal. Um, come on, all right. What, what do I... I'll give you a prize if anybody can tell you. If anybody remember what I hate above all other things, hardly chips. I love chips almost. Close. I don't hate walnuts, they just make me die. There's something I hate. Chris is right. I hate peanuts. I hate, I abhor peanuts. I absolutely hate peanuts. They are just ghastly in every way. Peanut butter, as far as I'm concerned, is the ultimate spawn of the devil. It is... <laughs> That's what it is. Don't get me wrong, I also hate injustice, hatred, arrogance, undue pride, men who hit women, people who hurt people, liars, cheats, people who are divisive, short measures and cheeky kids. But above all that, I hate peanut butter. Today, do you know, that's why, that's why I got the wrong ones, because I got the ones without, um, peanut, without the peanut one in, that, that neither Paul nor I like. We're gonna, today we're going to have a look at, the, at a short passage out of the book of Romans, um, which is written, was written by one of the early church leaders, a guy called Paul, um, who wrote much of the New Testament, and, sort of, and he wrote Romans sort of mid to late... 50s AD. And Paul's writing to the church, the, a church that's had some troubles. I'm really sorry. I've got, because I, I, I was singing my heart out to that song, and it's just made me really coffee. It's made me really. <clears throat> so he was, he was writing to a church, and, and the church in Rome had had some troubles. They had a bit of persecution, and then things had started going right from again, but they are about to have an awful lot more persecution. So he was writing, to, he was writing the, this letter to these people, this church. He was writing to some people he knew. And he was writing to some people he didn't know. So he knew, he knew some people there. He knew Priscilla and Aquila, Aquila. Priscilla and Aquila, who were some of the church leaders. He knew them quite well. He'd, he'd stayed with them. They'd, they, were, they were his friends. And also, some people he'd heard of. Some people he knew personally. Some people he didn't know personally. So a proper melting pot. People with with all sorts of different backgrounds, all sorts of different 
ethnicities, all sorts of different understandings, all sorts of different ideas and motives and needs and experiences. Maybe some people who, who have been at Pentecost, it says in, the, in Acts 2, 3, that at Pentecost, some of the people there were Christians from Rome. So there's a good chance that... Sorry. Sorry about this. Yeah, hello? I'll tell you what, win on Wednesday, and then win on Saturday, on Sunday, and then tell me you're coming home. But until then, gear. all right? <laughs> Sorry, that was football ringing up. <laughs> Thank you, whoever rang me. Um, so, so in Romans, Paul goes to some length to explain the gospel. He's explaining the gospel to people, setting it out, saying, Yo, you've got some different ideas among you, but I'm going to give you some basics, some things you can all agree on. So he talks about our need, our need for God. He says, all, all have sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. Nobody's, none of you, none of, none of us have made it. None of us have done it right. We've all sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. And then in Romans, he talks about how God sends the cure. He says, and he says, but we're all justified freely through his grace and the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. So he talks about the problem and the cure. And then he goes on to talk about what it means to be a Christian. He says, he says now we are chil- if we are children, we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, more than conquerors through him who lives in us. And Paul's just telling the Romans, they're the real basic building blocks he talks a little bit to the Jewish people to the, the born Jewish people about how they're going to be affected and he says that there's no difference there's no difference between Jew and Gentile between slave and free men and women all that stuff there's, there's no difference the same Lord is the Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved and Paul's writing that to the people in Rome he also writes, all Israel will be saved. I genuinely don't understand how that's going to work. I just know that I've got a huge big God who can work anything out. So how that, how that works, I'm not entirely sure. But I know a God that does. And I know a God that can. Yeah. And the last few chapters, Paul, having given them some building blocks and shown them where everything fits together a little bit, he starts teaching on, on the effect of this in our everyday lives. And he starts this in, in Romans 12. This is the bit where he starts, therefore I urge you, brothers, therefore, because of all this stuff I've just told you, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. All those Romans you see around you doing slack stuff, don't do that. You're used to that, now don't do it. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His perfect, pleasing will. So that's, that's, and it's this bit of the book of Romans that we're going to have a quick look at this morning. That how it affects our lives bit. So this morning I'm going to read um, Romans 12, 9 through 13. And that's the bit I'm going to, I'm going to talk about, we're going to look at and think about, pull it apart a little bit. And then when we're finished, we're going to have a brew and see if we can apply it to our lives this afternoon. So Romans 12, 13 starts, Love must be sincere. 
hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction. Faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. I'm going to pray and then we'll, we'll, like I say, we'll pull it to bits a little bit. Lord, Lord, thank you for this morning reminding us again and again that you are God and we are not. That you have the answers even when we do not. That you know the start and the middle and the end of the story even when we see only shadows and only backgrounds. Lord, thank you that you are in control. Lord, be in control this morning. Lord, calm my natural exuberance. And Lord, shine through the things I have to say. Let my stuff just fall away. And let your stuff grow in our hearts. Amen. Love must be sincere. Sincere is a lovely word. Sincere is a great word. As some of you know, I, I, I love root derivations of words, where words come from. And sincere is a lovely one. Because sincere means without wax. Sincere. And in the old days, when you were selling somebody a piece of marble to put on maybe a column or a table or whatever, it wasn't as easy to highly polish and cut it as it is now. So it wasn't so if you've got a grip before Paul and Neil's marble merchants and we're selling you a bit of marble, and it's got a big crack in it, you're going to look at it and go, I'm going to blow, there's a big crack in this. So what we do, because we're smart cookies, we get a bit of wax and we pour it into the crack, and because marble's a bit marbled, surprisingly enough, I'm going to blow, there's a big crack in this. So what we do, because we're smart cookies, we get a bit of wax and we pour it into the crack, and because marble's a bit marbled, surprisingly enough, and so, but sincere means without wax. It means genuine. It means it doesn't necessarily mean without defects. And I think that's really interesting. So Paul isn't saying love, love perfectly. He's not saying your love must be perfect because we're not. We are not perfect. Our love will always be imperfect. God alone is perfect. Our love will always be slightly imperfect because we are always all human. What Paul's saying is love without hidden defects. So sincere love isn't is specifically a love that's not faked, that's not made up. An open, honest, honest love, free from hidden agendas or, or psychological power games because we can, we can love people love people because we want them to think what we want we want them to like us we want them to do what we want them to do so we can, oh I love you, I love you let's walk this way, let's, oh I love you let's, let's do what I think, I love you because I love you so much, I want you to do that's not love that's the other thing True love, sincere love, is a love with faults. Because it's the only love we can have. Love must be sincere. 
true, honest love. Abhor, hate, abhor, abhor. Like I abhor peanut butter. We were, I was once in a car and some foolish child brought peanut butter into my car. Peanut butter sandwich into my car. Window down. Can I just have that a minute? Out the window. Window back up again. The look on his face was a picture. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. There's a, um, in the, the wedding service that we're going to have next week, one of the things Paul is probably going to read is Jesus saying you must leave your father and mother and become joined to your wife. And, the, and there's a brilliant word there, the word cleave. And cleave is one of those words that means the opposite, means two things that are the opposite of each other. Cleave means cut in half or chop, but cleave also means join together. That's true, isn't it? It's, I can't remember what the word is for those words, and I can't remember any of the other ones, but cleave is the most obvious one. And this cling to what is good is a cleave. Is a cleave. It's not just, I can't use you because you've got a bad arm. Who can I use? And you've got a bad arm. It's bad. Chris was being a naughty boy yesterday and carrying stuff with his bad arm. I'll sprag him up. His wife wasn't here, and he was being a naughty boy. I'll sprag him up. I'll use Rob. Right, so hold on to me. Oh, that was rubbish, wasn't it? Let's try again. Hold on. Have you got me? Are you sure? Because you don't appear to have got me. <laughs> Sorry. That. Cleaving is when you can't let go. Cleaving is when... <laughs> it really brought me thumb there. <laughs> should, have got him t- should have got him told me here. Then he could have broke my wrist instead. Cleaving is that. Cleaving is what my kids used to do when I picked him up. Yes, yes, the Greek, the Greek means glued together. Um, I'm right, though, aren't I? It is that word, yeah. Um, and that's what my kids used to do when I picked them up. Which, because they knew I had a history of letting them go. Which is why it's, when I pick somebody else's kids up, it's, I'm amazed that they don't hold on for dear life. So once or twice, I'm not going to tell you it was Dean's kid, but it was Dean's kid. Once or twice, I've picked him up and he's nearly come out of my fingers because my kids hang on when I do that. And Dean's like, just give you some of this. Yeah, I'm mental. Yeah, drop me. Honestly, I properly very nearly dropped one of Dean's kids. (laughs) Cling to what is good. What's good? Jesus says no one is good except God alone. No one is good except God alone. Cling to God. Cleave to God. Glue yourself to God. Of course we should. He's the rock that is higher than I. He's our strong tower. He is our deliverer. He is our saviour. Of course he's the one we should cling to. See, if he's all good... And surely in context, if we are hating what is evil, cling to that thing was all good, evil is anything that would try and come between us, that would try and break that grip, that would try and break that bond of glue between us. Those are the evil things. Because here, Paul's not talking about things that are intrinsically evil. So some things are intrinsically evil. Paul's not talking about those. Paul's not talking about hating those things. 
Some things are corrupted. And Paul's not talking about those things either. Those two are those are different words. Paul's talking about here, poneros, is things that are hurtful or painful, things that pull us away. Paul's saying, hate those things that pull you away from God. Hate those things that would drive a wedge between you and God. Not the stuff that is already out there. Because actually, it's fairly easy. All that stuff I said at the start, with the possible exception of short measures and cheeky kids, all that stuff, is fairly, it's fairly easy to hate people who hit their wives. It, that's fairly easy for me. I don't have any trouble with that at all. It's fairly easy to hate people that are divisive, the people that break up church, people that go around gossiping about folk. It's, that's fairly easy. The hard stuff is to hate the stuff that just tugs me a little bit, that just does this, and just, just pulls my leg to one side and tries to pull me away from God. Those are the things that it's harder to remember to hate. Largely because most of those things are the things I really like doing. The tuggy stuff. When Joe started with that, cast off those things that hinder, the sin that so easily entangles, those are the things that those aren't the evil things. Those are the things that just try and pull us apart a little bit. That's, those are the things that are, the Hebrew is talking about. Those are things that Paul is writing about in, to the Romans. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. On another, above yourselves. What is our favorite word for love? Favorite he, um, Greek word for love. I'll tell you what, mate. He, he's already had one. So, agape. Agape is unconditional love. It's a lovely word, as in love must be sincere or love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know you're my disciples if you love one another. All those are agape, unconditional love. But that's not the word Paul uses here. Here, Paul says. If um, love being able to be devoted to one another in brotherly love, and brotherly love is a different kind of love. There are a number of words that tr- that we just translate as love: um, agape, eros, um, and philios, which is brotherly love, which is cherishing one's kindred, being kindly affectioned. And I think this is Paul. Oh, I say I think this is God via Paul, telling us that it's not enough to love each other. And it's as God telling us we have to like each other as well. Because some of us are hard enough to love. And some of us are awfully difficult to like. But Paul's saying, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. And that's really difficult. Honouring one another above ourselves in a consistent manner is what both teaches and proves in us that brotherly love. I think that's why these lines come together. Because in a sort of in an abstract theoretical way, it is relatively easy to love someone unconditionally. Because God helps us with that. 
Because as we are loved unconditionally, God's shown us that example of how to love other people. Relatively easy, I didn't say it was very easy. But to have brother love for people that just annoy you, that's more problematic. Fortunately, read in 1 Peter 5 5. Peter talks about humility as well. Peter says, Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. I think that might be a promise from God that if we try our best to love one another as brotherly love, He'll give us a bit of grace to make it easier. Honouring one another is how you become devoted in brotherly love. It's not easy, because some of us are just annoying. I appreciate that I can be very annoying at times, especially when I'm sat there and Joe stood here doing the notices. But we should try our best. Can you turn me off for a second? I'm going to have to blow my nose. I'm Sorry, I was sat next to a bonfire last night. And it made me, um, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. This is my Achilles heel. Even more than these are my Achilles heel. And this is where I fail most often. My natural character is to be relaxed and laid back and quite easygoing. I find zeal and fervor very difficult. I, think if, I hope that if you cut me in half, like a piece of rock, it would say a property of Jesus. But I suspect just after it, in brackets, it would say manana. It's because of this I draw a very special comfort from Paul's letters to, letters to Timothy. Because Timothy strikes you as a bit of a, yeah, tomorrow will do. I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do that tomorrow. I'll... Paul writes for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands for God did not give us a spirit of timidity or a spirit of yeah or a spirit of or a spirit of another day or a spirit of yeah yeah man yeah but a spirit of power of love and of self-discipline and when I read those I find it easier not to beat myself up too much about the fact that I'm not very zealous and not very fervent. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. I love quite often when Paul writes lists of things for us to do, he starts off with the fairly easy ones. Have you noticed this? Because this list is an excellent example of this. Be joyful in hope. Do you know what? Piece of cake. Absolute piece of cake. I'm hoping for something. I'm quite pleased about it. Because I, I, I rarely hope for things I don't want. Do you know what I mean? You might, be, you might be mad and daft and hope that one day a house will fall on you. I don't hope that. I hope that one day a good thing will happen. So I find it very easy to be joyful in that hope. Patient in affliction, slightly less. If the affliction... Joe, I, 
I was laughing with Paul um, Dunning yesterday because Paul's cut his hand and, uh, and he was being very patient in his affliction because he couldn't use his hand and, uh, and we were laughing about afflicted people and I said oh yes I've, I, I've cut my finger there at work yesterday a mortal, could have been a mortal wound that it's all of three eighths of an inch long <gasps> blood careful now Paper, paper cuts are the worst. That's why doctors use them, apparently. They don't, they've, they've sacked off using scalpels now. They just get a piece of A4 and get some of that. <laughs> Chainsaws don't need those. They just, foresters just go into the woods now with a piece of paper and <laughs> the trees down. Because paper cuts are the worst. Joe's right. <laughs> you made me lose my place. Patient affliction, slightly harder. Especially if that affliction keeps having hold of you. Especially if that affliction doesn't go away. Faithful in prayer. I mean, come on, spending time with, conversing with someone you love and who loves you. Who can do that regularly? And we should remember that these three things, joy, hope and faithfulness, are three of the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And we need to remember that when we find ourselves not as patient in affliction as we might be, not as faithful in prayer as we might be, that those are things that grow in us. They don't, they don't come fully formed. These are not... These are not gifts which quite often come fully formed. These are fruits that need to grow in us. And he expects us to allow him to grow them in us. And sometimes he does it with sunshine. Because the grass needs sunshine to grow. But unfortunately, sometimes the grass needs rain to grow as well. Otherwise it looks like this grass outside. So sometimes when, we, when it rains in our lives and we think, why is it raining in my life? Why is it raining in my life? That's not fair at all. It's not raining in their life. You think God says, if you don't get any rain, you don't have any growth. And do you want to grow or do you want to be a baby all your life? Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. So what do you share? What do we share with people who are in need? The, Jesus talks about um, the sheep and their goats. That um, talks a bit about sharing with people. But earlier on, Paul exhorted us to cherish one another, that brotherly love. And I think the only way we can learn to do that really well is if we get to know each other more intimately. If we share our lives with each other. What, people, what, what do people need most in their lives? People tend to need most in their lives enough to eat, enough to drink, and somewhere warm to sleep. And if you've got all those three things, life's going fairly well. But once that's sorted out, once your tummies are full, once you've had enough sleep, 
I think then what people really need is to feel loved. Is to feel valued. Is to feel needed. And that's that's something as a as a church that we that that we try and engender. That that we that and it needs to be sincere, it needs not to be false, but that, that we value people. We love people. We need people. So what do we share with people once we've made sure they're warm and well-fed and had some sleep? Is we share our lives with them. And actually, we let people know that they are loved. We let people know that they are valued. We let people know that they are needed. And we do that by sharing our lives with them, by sharing our troubles with them, by saying to somebody, you know, I've, I've, got, I've got this problem, can you share it with me? Can you help me carry this burden? Because if we do that to somebody, if we say to somebody, can you help me carry this burden, how much value do they think? They think, wow, this person values me. He values me. I don't mean pour out your burdens onto somebody just to, ooh, I've given you all my burdens, now I can walk away, I'm free at last, and leave the person behind just weighed down and broken with your burdens. I am talking about sharing the load rather than passing it off to them. Share with the people who are in need. Practice hospitality. That's that kind of sharing. It's not just, I've got five pounds, you've got no pounds, so I give you two pound fifty. It's that as well. Otherwise the lights don't come on and the heating doesn't work. And sharing isn't isn't as much meddling in other people's lives as it is allowing them to meddle in our lives. And that's much harder. Because it's easy to share if I'm only meddling in your life. Because I walk away and your life's meddled with and I haven't changed at all. And you don't, you feel a little bit blessed, but you don't really feel needed. Whereas if I allow you to meddle in my life, you feel needed, people feel needed. And that's how we share with people who are in need. I think it's one of the ways we do it. Once we've done that, tummy's full, somewhere to somewhere warm to sleep. Practice hospitality. Do it regularly. Can the band come back, please? Do it regularly. If, if they at six service, which is fantastic, means you find difficulty inviting people to Sunday lunch, please allow me to remind you there is a day all before Sunday that has lots of hours in it that you can invite people around. There's even a day between the Sunday evening service and the Sunday morning service. There are quite a lot of hours in outside that strict bracket that we can practice hospitality with one another. Sunday at six does make it more difficult, but it doesn't make it impossible. And tonight will be really good. Properly will be really good. I started by asking the question, what do you hate? The real question is actually, what do you love? And that's what Paul was writing to the Romans about talking about these are the building blocks now how do you do it this is how you do it love sincerely how do you love sincerely by hating what is evil and clinging to what is good by being devoted to one another in brotherly love by honouring one another above ourselves 
And how do we do that? How do we do that? By never being lacking in zeal. Keeping our spiritual fervor and serving the Lord. And how do we do that? By being joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, sharing with God's people who are in need and practicing hospitality. These this can seem a little bit airy-fairy and a little bit but actually I think they're proper stone-cold practical ways of being church that's what I wanted to talk about this morning about being church that was my title I gave myself being church because these are all ways about being church about not becoming church not attending church not even growing church but about being church my bible these verses in my bible were marked were headed up marks of a true christian and i think that is probably about right love must be sincere hate what is evil cling to what is good be devoted to one another in brotherly love Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction. Faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Um, I'm, my time is up. I'm done for this morning. When we finish singing another song, when we go and buy cakes and do all that stuff, when we just... Be church this afternoon, later tonight, on in the week. Try and put these things into practice. Try and be more open with one another. Try and love as he calls us to love.